0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Boucher, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. Over the last few weeks, impeachment and the debate over another COVID-19 relief bill have dominated the news, but a number of issues in tech policy are moving as well. My name is Allison Edwards, and I'm your host for today's podcast. Recently, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is the chair of the Senate Antitrust Committee, introduced a bill that would reshape the country's antitrust laws. On the show today, we have AAF's Director of Technology and Innovation Policy, Jennifer Hollison, to discuss what this bill can mean for antitrust enforcement, tech companies, consumers, and the larger economy. Jennifer, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me on the show today, Allison. This is great. I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, Before we discuss Senator Klobuchar's bill, let's take a step back and talk about the current standards for antitrust. Would you explain what the current standards are?
1: Absolutely. And you're very right to suggest that we need to look at what the current standards are before really discussing any of the impact that these changes might have. While we've heard a lot about antitrust in the tech space recently, it's much broader than that. We've seen antitrust applied to numerous industries in the past, and it really goes back to the early 20th century and concerns about what were then the the large businesses like Standard Oil and what were referred to as trust. Initially, we saw a rule of reason applied, which was a very subjective rule that allowed the government to go after big businesses that they felt were harming competitors, the markets, and consumers. Over time though, in the late 20th century, we saw a shift towards the consumer welfare standard and a much more objective approach to antitrust. Rather than presuming that big was always bad, the analysis looks at the impact that these companies are having on the markets and on consumers. So it looks for things like, is a company dominant in its market? Is it abusing that dominance to somehow create harm on consumers that could result in consumers not having the best outcome and the benefits of a free market that we would normally see from competition. Most of the time when we're talking about antitrust, we're asking about this question of, has it harmed consumer welfare? Has it violated these more general standards as opposed to those per se violations?
0: I guess maybe some of our listeners may not know, but can you explain more like, what is the consumer welfare standard?
1: So our current definition of what is considered harm focuses largely on economic harm to consumers. But what we found, and this actually goes back to an Obama administration study on potentially modernizing antitrust laws, is that the consumer welfare standard is elastic enough to take into account some of these zero price services. So advocates for changing antitrust law, particularly in the tech space, often point to the fact that Facebook or Google or Twitter are free services and so they say that the standard can't really take into account what they perceive as other harms. But what we've actually found is that this economic analysis is still applicable even in these zero price scenarios, that it does have the tools to really examine whether consumers are being harmed, and not just the impact on potential competitors so we're looking at questions of you know are prices going up to consumers are they they or are they going down are we're looking at questions about what kind of access consumers have and we may even have some other elements that come into play there as well but it is largely an economic driven analysis which makes it a very objective standard
0: Interesting. Got it. What are the strengths and weaknesses of the system?
1: One of the main strengths right now is that it's an objective standard and that it provides both consumers and companies of all size a way of knowing what standard they will be judged by. It has clear elements and while there are certain elements, like what is the market, what you know, what are certain behaviors categorized as, that can be up for debate and are debated in the law, that's what the courts are there for when we do have have these cases come up. Um, it does, in general, provide this idea that we aren't just going after companies because they are politically unpopular or because they are have reached a certain size and therefore are subject to more intense scrutiny now just by reaching a certain size. And instead, it actually focuses on the experience of consumers. Now, consumers aren't always just you and me. It can be other consumers of the product, such as people buying advertising or, or other businesses that are consumers of another business. But you really have this focus on not you know, trying to to say that there need to be a certain number of players in a certain market, but actually looking at the experience and also therefore allowing markets to evolve, particularly in the tech space. Oftentimes, one of our best competition policies is innovation. It's a new market disruptor that comes in that completely changes the way we think of something like social media or shopping or any number of things. And so it's really allowing that kind of shift in the market to occur as well, rather than being stuck in a very
0: static standard. It seems like this standard and this you know, system is very flexible and can accommodate you know, different needs. So let's shift gears. So you recently wrote a paper explaining Senator Klobuchar's bill, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Would you walk us through this bill and what it's proposing and why it's so significant? Well, like most antitrust bills,
1: this bill has several different proposals in it, but there are a couple of very significant ones. And I think one of the really key things with this bill is while we've been having a lot of conversation about antitrust in the tech space... This bill is by no means constrained to the tech space. The proposals and changes in this bill would impact any number of industries, not just big tech. Um, regardless of how you may may feel about those Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon companies, uh, but it would also impact healthcare mergers. It would impact finance, uh, financial institutions. It would impact agriculture. Any number of industries that oftentimes go through this process and may have players of size involved in the industry. So one of the notable things is that it really shifts the burden for mergers and acquisitions in a lot of cases. So currently to stop a big business from acquiring another business, the government has to show why this would be anti-competitive. One of the changes in Senator Klobuchar's bill is in many cases, it shifts the burden Onto the companies that are looking to merge to prove, and I'm sorry for using a, a double negative here, but it's the easiest way to explain it, that it's not anti-competitive, that it that it, not necessarily that it's pro-competitive, but that at least there's not any harm in the in the merger occurring to the yeah. the competitive market. The problem with this is oftentimes that's something very difficult to prove. You're asking someone to prove the non-existence of certain effects, and that can be a deterrent to companies, not only for mergers that that may be questionable, but also for mergers that could be very beneficial to consumers. So the problem there is now, because of that shift in burden, you have companies that are going to perhaps be less likely to engage in certain mergers that could actually be hugely beneficial to consumers where they could improve a product or provide a product more easily to consumers that actually improves consumer welfare lower the cost of a product as a result of these mergers or even in some cases have a better competitor in the market as a result additionally you have the fact that these questions around mergers are often in tech based on the idea of a kill zone, the idea that big companies are gobbling up smaller startups before they can actually challenge the the giants. The advantage, though, of the fact that we do have an active merger and acquisition culture is that it has provided an option for smaller companies beyond just being competitive. In the, in the overall market. There are plenty of companies who want to be the next Facebook, who want to be the next Google, who want to be the next Amazon, but there are also companies that want to make an existing product better. And we as consumers benefit from both of these exit strategies. And we've seen that innovation has actually continued under this current approach where we have allowed a lot of different acquisitions for a lot of different reasons. Oftentimes hindsight can appear 2020 when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. And we should be hesitant of those who call to review mergers and acquisitions after the fact because it's so hard to separate whether or not success came as a result of the merger or would have occurred anyway. Additional elements in this bill include um, the fact that at times you would not have to have a clearly defined market when the when the enforcers decide to bring a case. This is oftentimes pointed to as a very difficult thing to do in the tech space because markets are ever shifting. But this is a key element of the law. So you're potentially enforcing a law without knowing what entirely it's being enforced against. Uh, So you can imagine if you're a company like trying to defend yourself without necessarily knowing what market you're accused of monopolizing would be incredibly difficult. So in general, this bill would have significant changes to the consumer welfare standard, particularly when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, but in a way that is very broad and is impacting almost every area of the American economy.
0: So I guess quickly, can you explain again what the kill zone is? Do I am I getting this right? It's for it's about I guess these larger companies who are able to acquire smaller companies. Uh, can you explain again what that means?
1: So oftentimes in tech, we will hear this term that there's a kill zone that these that we aren't seeing startups really emerge the way we used to because they're go- gobbled up by the tech giants as soon as they create a product that could be seen as competitive at all. But the reality is we have a lot of different exit strategies for startups today in some cases startups may desire to get acquired they may be creating something that makes a product better they may be creating something that can be more easily reached to consumers if they partner with someone who has a larger platform in other cases they do want to rise and become a challenger themselves either in an existing market or by creating a new disruptive market. So there are a couple of different examples we can really look at for this. Some of them are the technology that really was integrated into Google Maps that made Google Maps much better. That was a very small company that Google acquired and because of Google's talent and this company's talent, most of us as consumers now have a product that is incredibly beneficial to us. Without that acquisition, the smaller company might not have had the same ability to reach consumers or the same breadth of its its technology that we would have seen on its own. Similarly, people typically point to, as a concerning example of this, the Facebook acquisition of Instagram. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes when we're looking at these acquisitions, it's hard to know at the moment what acquisitions are going to be successful and what acquisitions are going to be failures. So when Facebook acquired Instagram, it was laughed at. It was seen as this that it paid too much, that it was this huge blunder. And yet now people are asking whether or not that was a case where it monopolized the social media market. It's hard to separate out after the fact what improvements did or didn't happen. The good news is, though, that the kill zone has largely been shown to be a myth. We still have very active venture capital. We still have a lot of investment. We still have many, many startups emerging, and we don't see every single startup want to be acquired. It also recognizes that there are costs to staying private, that there are costs to really having that success of that initial public offering. It's by no means a sure thing. And we've seen some very exciting companies that did say independent and that have been successful. You look at things like the recent IPO of Airbnb. We've seen several other tech companies over the last couple of years that have continued to innovate, continued to change their product with the times, created entirely new markets in, in incredibly uncertain times. And yet we also see that there are cases where smaller companies are able to provide us as consumers a better product by partnering or being acquired by a larger company.
0: So you also talked about how this bill, like, it, you know, one of its main components is that it, sh- it shifts the burden of proof onto merging companies rather than, you know, on regular- regulators. So do you think um, by shifting this burden of proof onto companies, it'll make it easier for regulars- regulators, such as the Department of Justice or the Federal Trade Commission to, pro- to prohibit, you know, future mergers?
1: A big portion of this bill is focused on making regulators jobs in intervening in various antitrust actions easier. It seems to be from a perception that the reason we don't have more antitrust enforcement is that it's too high of a burden on regulators. But we have seen that regulators can be incredibly successful both formally when they bring antitrust enforcement cases under these existing standards as well as informally in that, that additional regulatory scrutiny can really deter certain actions and can really cause companies that may have been looking at something that would have been beneficial to consumers to choose not to pursue it. And I think that's a real question that's really hard to calculate here in some ways of, if we have a very zealous case of antitrust enforcement, if we have a a regulator who is really going to be pursuing things, even when some of these principled elements that we've traditionally seen might not be met, not only what effect does that have on the parties involved in that particular case, but what effect does that have on other parties that may be looking at doing things that would be beneficial to consumers?
0: I guess, can you briefly explain what you mean by like formal and informally? I'm assuming that you mean formally like bringing an actual lawsuit is like informally um, like changing behaviors or is that like a consent? So additional
1: regulatory scrutiny. So we see yeah. this in mergers and acquisitions where the regulator will say that they are not waiving their their right to intervene in this merger, that they are going to give it additional scrutiny. And then in some cases, the companies will choose to abandon the merger rather than undergo that additional scrutiny um, for for many reasons um, that that may have nothing to do with we should never presume that a, a company's decision to abandon a merger means that it would be found anti-competitive. There are, are certainly costs to going through that process. There are certainly costs to the delays that can be involved. And there are certainly also you know, just concerns about the uncertainty that uh, undergoing that additional regulatory scrutiny may, may cause. Now, again, that's not to say that regulatory scrutiny is never due but that we want to make sure that it is happening in cases where we are seeing anti-competitive behavior and not just because a particular industry in this in my area of expertise technology but we've certainly seen other industries in the past come under political scrutiny or or be unpopular for various reasons we don't want to see these tools that are incredibly powerful market tools be used for political purposes that they were not intended for
0: Right. So going back to the Klobuchar bill, do you think it actually um, solves the problems it sets out to fix? or And do you think this bill will encourage more innovation and competition?
1: I certainly think it will have a chilling effect on innovation. In terms of the problems it sets out to fix, some of that depends on how you perceive the problems. I think this bill is really the first bill we've seen after the House Judiciary Committee report on um, big tech that coming from the Democrats in Congress is trying to take some of the arguments in that report and make them into a legislative policy. There are a lot of concerns about that report that myself and, and other scholars have mentioned with regards to how it perceives the use of antitrust and how it perceives these particular markets especially. I think there's a lot of concern with the Klobuchar bill that we would have basically a complete rewriting of antitrust laws in many ways. We would see very significant changes that would not be just, you know, just in the tech space or just in one industry, but would more broadly change the ability of the government to intervene in various industries in general and be a shift away from that consumer welfare standard and that objective standard. So I think there's a my my major concern there is regardless of of whether or not you feel that there are need the role that antitrust should play, we should want it to be a very objective standard. We should want it to be something where the enforcers have a high bar for intervening in transactions, that they have to show that these are actually harmful to consumers and that the focus remains on consumers and in, and in encouraging new innovation and new ways of changing the market, rather than just a shift back to kind of a presumption that that big is bad and that big in any industry. And that's one very notable facet of the klobuchar bill is that it comes from a point of view that presumes big and in any industry is bad and that has a lot of consequences and that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of what we see in the market
0: yeah you've kind of touched upon my next question about how this bill may impact other sectors of the economy so um i guess this also raises the question of whether specific industries should have their own antitrust rules what do you think about that I think that's a
1: really concerning path to go down. And we've heard these questions of, can antitrust adapt to technology and, and the tech sector, particularly when you know we have free services? I think that it's incredibly important that we have a one size fits all standard when it comes to antitrust, because these markets are ever changing, because who someone competes with can often change. And it's not always as easily segmented as, this is a tech product, this is a healthcare product, this is a product for horses or agriculture or whatever else. I think it's important to really recognize that we want to be looking at markets and having to define those markets as they exist at the time. And that we really want to continue to have a competitive economy in general with objective standards that will apply to any industry that allow people to make pivots within their industry, that allow for that disruption within various industries, rather than singling out an industry that might find itself unpopular. And that would be a really dangerous precedent to set. Again, today it may be tech that finds itself unpopular, but we can certainly all perceive a world where the energy sector or the pharmaceutical sector or, the beer sector finds itself suddenly unpopular and is now subject to its own set of antitrust rules. And that would be a very concerning precedent to set.
0: That's a really good point. So let's, let's return to the qu- original question about the status quo. Do you think the current antitrust standards are robust enough for today's concerns about competition and innovation? Is it really necessary to rewrite the rules or even make some tweaks?
1: The consumer welfare standard has been a great triumph in providing an objective standard to the market that can adapt to any number of industries, including today's tech and innovation sector. I think it's important to note that enforcers do have the tools when they do see anti-competitive behavior. That when we are seeing a true monopolist behavior, we have seen antitrust enforcement. I think though it's important also to recognize that big is not always bad. That we can certainly see disruptors coming in various forms and that markets are constantly changing. I think that the current standards really allow that adaptive approach that can be used in numerous situations while still providing certainty to consumers and companies of all sizes.
0: Great. Finally, let's talk about the politics of Senator Klobuchar's bill. Do you think this bill will have bipartisan support? Or also, do you know of any Republicans who are proposing similar bills like is this the first of what of what to come what's going on here
1: it will be really interesting to see traditionally republicans have been very strong defenders of the consumer welfare standard and we have still seen several Republicans step up to defend the consumer welfare standard, even those who may have problems with some of the actions of tech companies. And that's certainly important to point out. If there are other policy concerns when it comes to tech, we wanna make sure we're using the right policy tools to potentially address those concerns. That we're not looking to antitrust as a silver bullet for whatever ails any industry, particularly around issues such as content moderation or data privacy. That mm-hmm. would be really ill-suited for. That being said, there are some concerns that we have seen some Republicans, uh, particularly in the House, um, Representative Buck, signal an openness to some of these same proposals around burden shifting and so on and so forth. Or, um, so I think it's very interesting to see where we have seen people in the past. You know, Ted Cruz applauding Elizabeth Warren on antitrust at certain right. times it's an interesting dynamic that is often driven by what seems to be a a motivation about the industry that's being targeted currently. Again, going back to some of those other policy concerns that certain members may have when it comes to tech in general. So I think it's really important to recognize that when we're looking at antitrust changes, these are not going to remain in one industry for long, that this is likely going to be a more sizable rewrite of a very powerful tool in the American economy.
0: Uh, I guess we'll have to see where Senator Klobuchar's bill goes. And if there's any, you know, forthcoming proposals, I'm sure we'll have some hearings on it, may, you know, maybe this, uh, this Congress. Uh, Jennifer, I think that's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for coming on. I know, like, You've written a lot about this, uh, about this topic, and I'm sure you'll have more papers in the future. Um, and also I know there's a lot of other tech policy issues that we, you know, have yet to cover, like, you know, Section 230 and data privacy that, you know, Congress will likely debate this year. So we would love to have you on again to talk about those issues as well. So thanks again, Jennifer, for coming on. Thanks for having me, Allison. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.